we have this idea that we can hate ourselves into a version of ourselves that we like. And that's just not the case. Do you know who does healthy stuff for their body, who takes good care of their body? Happy people, people who like themselves. The work in in, in getting to a point where we aren't propelled to do something because we hate ourselves, but we we do something because we care about ourselves is what we where we want to get to. So if you think that berating yourself for messing up again is working, if you're noticing that you you're the thoughts, the the way you're talking to yourself is incredibly negative and and oh, you just need to do better tomorrow and you need to try harder and um and you're applying more and more levels of restriction, the exact opposite is, is what needs to happen. Deep balance I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. Alrighty, Balancers, today's guest is a media dietitian, best-selling author, and one of Australia's most well-known nutritionists. She goes hint, hint by the name of the Nude Nutritionist. She's also the host of the popular health podcast, No Wellness Wankery. Today, we're going to dive into the world of, quote, internet health advice and nutrition nonsense, tips for anyone who recently has set their New Year's resolutions as weight loss. And we're going to find out and really dive into how to have real health and an intuitive, healthy body image in 2023. It's an absolute honor to welcome Lindy Cohen to the podcast today. Lindy, a very warm welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show today. No, I'm really excited for you to be here. I mean, uh, I'm really grateful our paths crossed and I think the work you're doing is super interesting. I think in a world and a realm where a lot of people utilize social media as a base for information. It can be such a an easy place to access things we may not have come across, but I think there's a lot of uh, risk or things we need to be weary of when it does come to doing that. So I think these conversations have a very important place and all our listeners are, are very much dedicated to bettering themselves and their health in every way. So I think we're going to have a great chat. But uh, just so listeners get a little bit of a feel for your story, your background, tell me a little bit about how you fell into being a nutritionist. Was it one of those things that you just knew you wanted to do, came out of school, went for it, or did your path kind of lead you towards it? A bit of both, to be honest. So I was probably five years old when I realized that I was bigger than the other kids. I was standing in ballet class and I was wearing a pink leotard and I could look in the mirror and just see the other girls' bodies and I had a tummy and my thighs touched and I already knew at that point that my body felt different. But it wasn't until I was 11 years old that that's when I started really trying to do something about it. I went to go see a nutritionist for the first time and I was well within my healthy weight range according to my BMI, but she understood that I wanted to be thin um, because everything around me had told me that being thin was what I should aspire to be. And so she said she'd give me um, a healthy eating plan, which um, was really just a diet. That was really just weigh out your food, is a meal plan, count how many calories you're having a day, record what you're eating diligently in, in, a, in a paper diary. And I was so I was so committed. And so I'd go in regularly for weigh-ins. And this started the next 10 years of a re what really became a very toxic, unhealthy relationship with food. 
where my worth was very much based on what I weighed in the morning. I became incredibly obsessed with what I was allowed to eat and what I wasn't allowed to eat. Um, my brothers would have like spaghetti bolognese, but I would have to have carrot noodles with bolognese on top. Well, and that was like well before it was trendy to do that kind of thing. <laughs> and and so by the time I reached 21, a decade of dieting, I had now developed something called binge eating disorder, which was I was really committed to being to losing weight, but ultimately I couldn't stick it out. I'd, I'd lose control around food. I'd come home after a really exhausting day and one handful of nuts would turn into 20 handfuls of nuts. The next thing I knew I was uncontrollably eating everything in the pantry. I'd lie in bed at night going, okay, how can I do better? How can I improve? And I'd wake up the next day determined to do something differently, except I would just repeat the exact same cycle. I'd under eat during the day and inevitably end up binge eating again at night, feeling awful. And I was stuck in this really vicious cycle. So by 21, I was now categorically morbidly obese from someone who never, ever, you know, struggled with their weight. I hated myself. I was obsessed with food. I was dedicated to dieting, but I realized that this was certainly not working. And that's when I went to the doctor and I decided, all right, we're going to fix this. But I think back to your question, I became, I decided to become a nutritionist dietitian at 17 years old because I factored in that I thought this was going to be the best profession for someone who had an eating disorder that no one knew about. That if I was obsessed around food, then this is going to be the profession where I can control what I eat. I can get paid to know everything there is to know about this thing that I'm very obsessed about. And so I'm the first to admit that I became a dietitian for all the wrong reasons. But through studying nutrition, I realized food was so much more than calories in or reps at the gym or any of that stuff. So I graduated at 21, now at this point with, with a thriving eating disorder. And I felt like I something has to give. I can't, I can't teach people uh, the way that I've been taught to all those nutritionists that I'd seen while I was growing up. So I decided to recover from my eating disorder. I spent the next few years learning how to not diet, unsubscribing from all these diet rules that make us feel like we're never good enough. I ended up losing 20 kilograms during this process, but it took me four years and it was really much an unlearning of lots of the stuff that I had learned. And so everything I do these days is about helping all those people who feel like they know what they should be eating but they just find it really hard to actually stick to it. You know, maybe they're really good during the week and then they lose control over the weekend. They feel like every Monday they're starting from scratch or every day they're starting from scratch. These are my people. I help people find a lot more stability, consistency when it comes to health without the frantic yo-yoing and without the crappy body image to go with it. Yeah. Wow. That's an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing. I think, um, I think it's really interesting, especially at this point in time, having this conversation, because diet is one of those things we all know we have basic control over. We all know, like you said, quote, what we should be doing. That doesn't always translate into the way we do things day to day. And I find it quite interesting, you know, you, you shared how at 14 you got that health advice from a nutritionist, which basically put you on a diet. And then you went through your own experience of, of unlearning things and I'm just really curious because I know a lot of the listeners will have potentially set goals for this year and some of them may be around their diet, cleaning up their diet, having new habits around their diet. 
what for you are the really important ingredients of a diet? Are we, you know, in your opinion, is that word just futile and, and creates this really toxic relationship with our food? Is there another way we should be looking at it? Basically, what are your tips to really get the most out of a diet for 2023, a diet that's going to serve us? How do you kind of coach people to to set that up? Okay. I think it's a really great question. I, I, I think there's, there's two parts of it. But firstly, what I will say is what we want to be doing of course we want to be healthier. We all want to have the energy to do the things we love and I'm all about that. Oftentimes what we do is we feel so propelled by how unhealthy we've been. We've been drinking too much alcohol. We've been eating out too often, going to too many parties. And we we look in the mirror and we go, oh, I, I have to make a change. And so this kind of self-loathing propels us into doing what I call a health kick high, where we go, we swing the health pendulum to one from one extreme to the other. We go and adopt a whole bunch of things that aren't really sustainable or doable. And especially come, you know, New Year's resolutions, we, we feel like we might be able to stick to them. But the truth is, if something only leads to temporary weight loss, if you only get momentary health benefits, then it's not actually that useful. In fact, what mm. we know from the research is it's more likely to lead to weight gain over the long term, increases cravings for the very foods you're trying to avoid, leads to an obsession around food, crummy body image. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't want. Most people will end up losing weight, will regain it plus more than what they originally lost. We don't want to be doing this. And I know it's not nearly as fun to think about it this way, but what I'm encouraging people to do, and I've written a lot about this in my new book, Your Weight is Not the Problem. And I offer three questions that we can ask ourselves to work at if the intention that we have is on the right pathway. And the three questions are, firstly, very simply, does this help me become closer to the person I'd like to be? Hopefully, yes. Question number two, can I do this for the rest of my life? And you might think that sounds like a bit of an extreme question, but it's not. If you can't maintain it for at least a year or five years or 10 years, then any health benefits you do get are going to be temporary and probably will end up backfiring. So it's a simple question. You know, you might go, oh, I want to exercise every morning at 5 a.m. Well, <laughs> Are you going to be able to maintain that? Probably not. Whereas you might be able to, you know, take your dog for a walk most days. And that's something that you you could commit to. So that's a really important question. And the third one I think is the most important question is if this didn't impact my weight, would I still do it? Now, this is a really important one. I think one of the greatest mistakes we make when it comes to being healthy is we tether healthy habits to weight loss goals. And really when we're talking about weight loss goals, what we're talking is I don't like my body and I want to change my body and this is why I need to lose weight. What I would encourage us to do is actually start focusing on on how our body feels and, and being healthy. And the reason being this is that weight loss is really actually awful motivation. It's very useless. Firstly, when you actually lose the weight, most people, they get to their goal weight and they go, well, I've arrived and they stop doing all the things that got them to that point. But the other thing that happens much more often is let's say you start running because you're like, all right, I'm going to start running so I can lose weight. If after two or three weeks you hop on the scale and you're not seeing the progress that you would have liked, or maybe you're exactly this exactly where you were, or you've gained weight, do you think you're going to keep running? No way. If you're only doing it for that purpose, you're going to totally negate all the other beautiful benefits that you get from running. So the increase to your mood, the boost in energy, the way that you sleep better, you ignore all the on-flow benefits of how that would impact your life. 
because we're looking at the sole metric of weight loss. Now, when I say that I lost 20 kilograms over four years, measured out over the period, that's 100 grams a week. Now, had I been measuring my success based on how much weight I was losing, you bet I would have given up. I would have gone, well, this yeah. isn't working. What's the point in doing this? This isn't fast enough. The way I was taught when I went to see those nutritionists is that you want about a kilogram to half a kilogram a week. That is the expectation that's being placed on that so that this is somehow sustainable and maintainable and, and, and the goal. But the reason that I lost that weight and I maintained it over the long term is because I accumulated these healthy habits bit by bit because I enjoyed them, because I liked who they were making me become, because they were unrelated to weight. Now, I'm not anti-weight loss. If weight loss happens as a happy coincidence of you doing all these healthy things that take care of your body, amazing. But I just don't think that having weight loss goals and the research backs me up on this is something that's ever sustainable or it's ever a good idea. Yeah, I think this is all really, really powerful stuff and it ties in so many ways so beautifully with what we speak about, about balance. In particular, of the three questions you raise, which I think are brilliant for everybody to consider, whether you've set diet as a part of your news resolutions or not, it's a really good way to just frame your relationship with your diet and your food. So I think really, really important as a self-reflection piece. But the second question in particular has really, really resonated with me, the idea of can you do this for the longevity of your life? The reason I love that so much is because I 100% back you in the idea that if you're doing something temporarily, say like an eight-week challenge, then the results of that are also going to be temporary. And when you kind of extreme in and out of things, your body doesn't have time to adjust and actually make that a habit and a normality. And the chances are, and I think everybody listening can probably think of an experience where this has happened to them. If it's too hard or it doesn't fit with your lifestyle, there's this beautiful phrase that your lifestyle shouldn't fit into your diet. Your diet should fit into your lifestyle. And I think when we fall in that realm where we're trying to squeeze our lifestyle in and around our diet, it's not sustainable. And that's where we start not seeing results or falling off the horse. Then we feel bad that we haven't achieved the goal. And it's this sort of round table, like, you know, you kind of go around in the loop as an experience. So of the three, that's the one that's really stood out to me because when we're talking about balance, we're talking about, and it comes down to your why as well, right? Like if your goal is long-term health, which I think at the core of everything, whether it's weight loss, whether it's a size you want to fit into, whether it's how much muscle you want to have, at the end of the day, we're all trying to strengthen and better our long-term health. We're doing all these things for the longevity of our lives. And so questioning whether it's something we can actually do long-term is so important. And I think we lose sight of that, especially if it's like, this is my goal for the next three months. You know, try and zoom out and, and think of that goal as a part of a bigger picture, which is your long-term and overall health. And I think that's how we really bring balance into these day-to-day -day goals. Uh, the other thing you said that really resonates with me and all the balancers listening have heard this story. If you're new, this will be the first time you hear it. But basically I had a very similar experience where I was using in-body scans as a measure for my progress or my success with training. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically a scan that tells you how much body fat percentage you have. So I was training really hard. I was, you know, uh, experimenting with intermittent fasting. I was doing double sessions. I was mixing up my training and every week I'd go into a scan and my body fat percentage would get lower. So in my mind, tick, I'm making progress. The last scan I did 
I had the most energy I'd ever had. My sleep was amazing. I was, you know, eating really well. I felt incredible. And I jumped on that scale and it had taken me back a couple percentages. So, you know, on paper, I had reverted in progress and I had a moment and I had a choice. I could hinge my success, my progress on this number, or I could take a step back and go, you know what, this number is only telling me my body fat percentage, but my body fat percentage has nothing to do with my energy, the quality of my sleep, my clarity of mind, my focus, all these things that actually matter to me more and compound into my idea of success and health more than body fat percentage. So when we're setting goals and we're thinking about you know, our relationship with our diet or our relationship with our exercise, it's really important to be critical of how we're measuring that and make sure that it's relative to what we're actually trying to achieve. So I just wanted to share that because I think it resonates a lot with what you were just talking about and something really important to think about in the realm of our health goals. Oh, I love it so much. And it makes me think of this question I often get asked by clients saying, how do I lose the last five kilos? This or a few pounds, this stubborn bit of weight that I see and that I just can't shift. And it feels like I keep trying and I just don't know what to do. And my response to those people is, if it feels like your body is fighting against you to lose that weight, then maybe you're not meant to lose the last few kilos. Maybe that's exactly where your body needs to be to have the energy, to fall asleep easily, to be your best self, where your hormones are balanced, where you have the headspace to do the things in your life, when your life isn't preoccupied by how much time you're going to the gym. And I think this idea that health has a certain body fat percentage or an aesthetic or a certain kind of even even a BMI is completely outdated. What we need to be doing is is in what I talk about in my in my new book is this whole idea of being a lot more intuitive with our bodies. Um, mm. One of the ideas I introduce is the idea of the hierarchy of healthy habits. So, so often what we're doing is we're ignoring all of these healthy habits that are at the the base level of the hierarchy. So things like eating enough food, getting enough hydration, focusing on sleep. And we're trying to do these higher levels, healthy habits, like, I don't know, focusing on our fitness. But fundamentally, if you're not prioritizing eating enough and fueling your body, or you're not getting enough sleep, it's near impossible to be consistent at something like your fitness goals. So what we really need to be doing is instead of focusing 80% of our energy on the things that make 20% of the difference, focusing our energy on the the 20% of this of our energy on the 80%, the things that make 80% of the difference. And I think that's fundamental. And it's it's easy to get very distracted by all the things you could be doing when it comes to nutrition, you know, should I change this brand of yogurt or maybe I should have this cereal. But fundamentally, if you get those basics sorted, you have a foundation to build real health. And that's something that we do over time. It doesn't happen overnight, but I think it's worth investing in. Picture this. It's Monday morning. You're waking up feeling refreshed from your weekend and energetic for the busy day ahead. You have things you've already mentally noted you want to achieve, but then it happens. You log on and your attention is distracted and taken by your flooded Outlook inbox, your scheduled meetings and other people's urgent requests. And there it goes. Another day passes where you spent time doing stuff, but didn't really feel like you achieved much at all. 
If productivity and efficiency is a goal of yours in 2023, I've got your answer. Sunsama is an online daily planner made for focus and intention. It integrates with all the apps you use every day for work, like Outlook, Slack, Gmail, and more, making everything accessible and integrated so it's manageable in one place. You guys know that I'm Time Blocking's number one fan, and this is super easy to do on the app. You just have to log in and input the tasks you want to do in the morning and how long they'll take, and your day is mapped out for you. It has countdowns and reminders to keep you on track, and my absolute favorite feature is the shutdown nudge, which you set for when you would like to finish the day so that you can keep balance as a priority as well. Go to sinsama.com slash a slash Erica, that's Erica with a K, and you can access all of this for free for the first two weeks, and you don't even have to put your credit card details in. That's sinsama.com slash a slash Erica. Now let's get back to the episode. I think that that really just comes down to getting the simple things right. I think it's so easy and we fall into overcomplicating it. Like you said, even, you know, should I have a flexitarian diet or vegetarian or should I use this type of protein? Like at the end of the day, if you're not sleeping enough, if you're not hydrating, the fundamental basics, just simplify it. All these other things that you layer on top are kind of useless or the time spent doing them is really not being maximized. So I love that. Back to the basics, guys. The good news is it's simple. It really is just the simple stuff. And once you can kind of confidently say, yep, I feel like these things are, you know, in check or they, they feel balanced, they feel aligned, they're, they're a part of my life, then you can go and start layering in and, and fine tuning your approach. But kind of on this topic, because I think where the confusion, the cloud, the extra noise comes in is from a lot of the stuff we see on social media. Maybe there are people we're following who are trying certain things. And I mean, it's so simple to say and hard to do in terms of using other people's experiences and, and knowledge and expertise as inspiration for your own, but not as a blueprint. That's really simple to say and hard to do. I think sometimes we just take things as Bible and think that's what we should be doing. So I just wanted to ask you, because there is so much readily available online, what is the most, and I'm going to quote dodgy, (laughs) health advice that you commonly see being splattered around the internet or being given out just, I guess, not from a professional context? It is overwhelming the amount of dodgy health advice out there. Um, it really is. It, it's 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 an all facets. I think the perhaps the most damaging aspect of it is the abundance of it and how so often this health advice is contradicting one another. So you might follow one influencer and they say you have to fast intermittently, and someone else will say well you have to eat frequently to maintain your metabolism. Another person will tell you carbs are awful. The other person's a vegan and they rely heavily on carbohydrates. So what we have is is inund- we're inundated with a whole bunch of stuff, conflicting concepts, then when it comes to making food decisions, we are so overwhelmed and and confused. It can sometimes lead to paralysis where we actually go, it all feels too hard and too complicated, or it leads to perfectionism, which can also contribute to procrastination, which is not ideal either. Yes, I I can definitely relate to all of this. I think many of us can. It's a very normal reaction (laughs) to the deer in the headlight situation. I think a very clear solution for this is something that we could be doing is is being a whole lot more respectful of the fact that our body is constantly providing us with feedback about how we can look after it. It's constantly giving us clues and cues about how we can take care of it. 
we are so often turning to the external world saying, all right, hey, health guru, you tell me what I should be eating or let me follow this person's day on a plate or, you know, if they had this recipe, then I have to try it. What we need to be doing instead is going, huh, how does this food make me feel? And and Mm. working out our own limits or something like exercise, you might say, right, well, uh, high intensity and interval training is what I should be doing, but you know that your body thrives really well by doing yoga and that's your, that's your shtick or going for an ocean swim or whatever it is, or maybe you, you know, for you, you need a certain amount of carbohydrate and, and, and things to actually thrive. So you could try to do these different diets that people are recommending, but fundamentally what you need to come back to is that your body is the real health expert here. And if the main thing that you do is you start tuning out of the noise and you start asking yourself and you run these little mini experiments, um, how does this food make me feel? How much of this should I, do I want to have? The difference between this as opposed to applying all these food rules, you know, food rule being like, you're only allowed to eat this much. These are the foods you should be having is that you might sit down at a restaurant or a cafe, get a menu. And instead of going, which is the healthiest option. What should I eat? Instead, you go, what does my body feel like? How hungry am I? What's going to make me feel really good today? And the decision might be the burger, but the decision might also be a salad. And instead of needing to require all this willpower to go for the healthy option, what you might be surprised to learn is when we let go of all the pressure to eat a certain way, your body actually has a natural default to want to be healthy. Because when you do eat healthily, when you move your body, you feel good. So if we just cut out that constant shame and guilt and rules that we're always giving ourselves about how we should be eating, and instead we tuned into our body, we'd know that actually we function best when we're eating more fruits and vegetables and that's what makes us come alive. This can only happen though when we're giving ourselves full permission to eat all the foods that we need to be eating. It's a bit like, you know, when we tell ourselves we're not allowed to have something, it's the very thing that we we want to be eating more of. Um, the forbidden fruit. <laughs> totally. Um, and, and that's how we've, you know, we've, how I ended up crouching in the freezer eating <laughs> ice cream straight from the tub because I so reduced my ability to have ice cream. And I think if you find that you feel a bit out of control with food, See if there's a correlation between the foods that you tell yourself you shouldn't have and the foods you end up feeling out of control around. So very often, if you have a perception that I shouldn't eat too many carbohydrates, carbohydrates are bad for me. What you might notice is that when no one else is looking, when you're by yourself, when your willpower is low, you are tired and depleted. These are the very foods that you're going to be emotionally or binge or out of control eating. And I think that's really important. So what we want to do is we want to flip this so that we don't have these eliminated foods. They lose their highly interesting nature and they just become foods. Mm. So you get to that cafe and you can make the decision with a whole lot more inner peace and based on what your body wants instead of what you think you should eat. Yeah, I, I love this so much and the flexibility it offers for people to kind of reset the tone with their body because I, I must admit I've been in both camps. I've been in a camp where I order and, and eat what I think I should be eating and often it doesn't hit the spot of what I feel like I need. And when you tune out that noise and, and everything you've just spoken, two things have come to mind. The first is self-awareness, which I think is the road to lead us to the second thing, which is intuition. And I think when we're lost and clouded by what other people tell us we should do, what we when we start classifying foods as good and bad, you get lost in that noise and you get so cut off from your intuition that you just 
don't even know. Like a lot of people listening might be like, oh, great, that sounds amazing to be able to sit down and just tune into my body. But I don't know if I'm going to be able to hear it. And, and what I want to say to those people, and this is a purely personal experience, I think it's just a time thing. But I think if you make the decision to start being self-aware, I think that eventually that your inner voice, you can, you can connect and you can hear it. But I just wanted to ask you something in the realm of intuitive eating. I know it's something that um, you're passionate about, you speak about as well. So in 2023, for people who have kind of heard this concept, I mean, it's not a new topic to the podcast. I've had people on before that talk about it. And so the balancers will be familiar with it. But what I would like for you to share, if, if possible, is maybe just some practical tips of how we can start building that self-awareness to get back to intuition. So let's say we've just ordered something, we've just eaten it. What can we do to bring that self-awareness? Do you have any prompts, whether it's a, just mental thoughts, whether it's something we can journal, take note of, an actual like practical step? Because I love getting all this advice and having these conversations, but if we don't know how to actually practically apply them, they kind of just stay as topics in our mind. So what do you have to say about actually becoming intuitive and building that self-awareness around the foods we're eating? Oh, great question. I, firstly, I want to say that I think it's scary. I think intuitive eating is a very scary concept because the brain really likes rules. The brain loves black and white and it's so much easier for me to say to you, hey, eat this. Here's when you should eat it. This is how it's going to be done. If you do this, if you follow the rules, you're going to hit all your nutritional milestones. You're going to tick all the boxes. That is nice. The brain loves that. So the idea of asking you to eat intuitively, wait, so you're asking me to just eat when I feel hungry and eat what my body feels like. And, and there is such a fear that if I stop listening to all these food rules, rules like I could only have this many slices of bread when I do eat bread, I'm not allowed to have too many carbohydrates in the day. The fear is that you're going to lose control around food, that if I boycott these rules, I will just face plant into the pantry and I won't be able to stop eating. And I think that's the most important thing that we need to overcome when it comes to like practicing intuitive eating. And I think it's important to realize that the exact opposite of what we think is happening is happening. When we try to exercise all this control over eating the perfect foods, this is when we notice that we start to lose control around food. And, and, and you think you lie in bed at night going, if I just tried harder, if I just had more willpower, I would be able to get on top of it. There is nothing wrong with your willpower or your self-control. The fact that you are trying to exercise so much control, most likely under eating because you don't trust your appetite because you might be going um, – oh, I shouldn't be eating this much. This is my appetite's out of control. Um, I should only need this amount of food. But the the, the nutrition days on the plate that we often see, they're, they're grossly under eating those days on the plate. Or, you know, a 1,200 calorie diet is the equivalent to a starvation diet for a female. It's the absolute bare minimum that you need to survive. And it's not, it's not what you need to thrive, certainly not. And so we see these kind of rules and we go, well, this is what I should need to survive. So I think recognizing that when we actually start to ease control over and we stop trying to control everything we eat, we don't lose control around food. In fact, the opposite starts to happen. And it's not an easy, clean process, but over time, in a year from now, you may very well be that kind of person who goes, I don't feel like eating any more dessert. You have a few bites and you push it away. This is so different from the concept of oh, I have a cheat meal and then you go absolutely crazy because you never know when your 
going to get more of that cheat meal again and you feel crazy around food. So letting go control around food is the solution to helping you regain more control around food. And I just want to talk about one more idea that's really important is this idea of physical satisfaction and emotional satisfaction. So of course we know we want our food to be physically satisfying because we want to literally finish our meal and feel full. Um, I think it's interesting to note that many of the foods that there's like something called the satisfaction index when it comes to food, they've rated how satisfying different foods are. And very often the most satisfying foods are the foods that diets tell us we're not allowed to have. So anything like potato or rice or carbohydrates, these things are highly satisfying and they often get eliminated. So we need to make sure that we're eating enough, that we're eating enough satisfying food. But beyond this, we need to make sure that we are emotionally satisfied. And you touched on this idea. It's not enough just to tick that nutrition box and to say, I've ticked and I have enough macros, I have enough calories, I should be physically satisfied. We need to be satisfying our emotional hunger as well, which is a really important thing. And I think if you go into, let's say you're having chocolate or something, and if you're eating it going, oh, I'm only going to have one more bite, only one, one more one more block, one more block. And next thing you know, you're finished off like five rows and you felt completely out of control with doing this. I think we do this thing where we accidentally try and portion control and set limits all while we're eating. And the reverse of this, what intuitive eating version of this would be, you sit down with the chocolate and you ask yourself, how much do I feel like right now? And Yes, you go square by square and you just say, do I feel satisfied now? Do I feel satisfied now? What you might be surprised with is because you know and trust that at any time you can go and have more chocolate, that there is, this isn't a cheat meal. Tomorrow you can have it, tonight you can have it. You might just find, I don't feel like chocolate because it's always freely available. Mm-hmm. And all this is what we want to try and get to where you have way more choice around eating, but we need to make sure that you're eating enough and that you're eating enough foods that are truly satisfying physically and emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to piggyback off that, I think if you just had a meal or something you can implement to to bring that intention to be more intuitive or move towards a path of having a more intuitive eating style, I think is to just reflect whether it's once a day or, or after a meal and ask yourself, you know, was I abiding by rules in this meal? Was I trying to box myself into any type of diet? Were there any like parameters that controlled the way I ate or the way I ordered? And it's just that ongoing reflection. It's just bringing your awareness to it. And it's a, I think something that worked for me, I mean, I don't know if you have any other tips, like practical tips, but something that worked for me as well was almost just pausing before I ate as well, just to check in. And it takes a lot of practice to to make it a habit, but I, I really see the value in having that pause before you eat because it's just like checking in with yourself, right? I love that if you can make that happen. If you're not quite at that level yet, I think the 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 step before that would be when you're noticing that you you feel like your eating is getting a little bit out of control. So like let's say you're sitting there with a the chocolate going, like I really should stop this, but I can't. We think we need to change our behavior. What we really need to change in the circumstances, our thoughts. And so as you talk about bringing that awareness into what thoughts are running through your head, we change our thoughts, we change our behavior. That's the way it goes. So what you can do is you can whip out your phone, create a new notes, and it could be food thoughts. And what I want you to record down are the exact thoughts you're having around the food as you're eating it. Don't paraphrase. Don't try and be like, 
generally, I want you to say the exact things. Like it could be just word vomit it. <laughs> yeah, word vomit it. One more square. Um, oh, I can't believe you've messed up again. It could be all these words because these are going to be clues about the, these thoughts. This is what is perpetuating the cycle, keeping you stuck in this good, bad, all or nothing kind of train of thinking. So bringing our attention to the thoughts that underpin our eating habits, rather than spending all this time trying to change our eating, we first work mm. on changing our thoughts and that's that's the way we do it. And then from there, do we kind of self-assess and review all of our thoughts and, and try to start changing them and reframing them? Like kind of where do we go from there? Yeah. And so I, I outline the exact process of how we do this in my book, Your Weight is Not the Problem, because we want to be eliminating these diet rules. And if we have, if we're noticing quite a, a large amount of thoughts that are guilt-ridden, where we're beating ourselves up, I think that's very important to notice. We have this idea that we can hate ourselves into a version of ourselves that we like, and that's just not the case. Do you know who does healthy stuff for their body, who takes good care of their body? happy people, people who like themselves. The work in, in in getting to a point where we aren't propelled to do something because we hate ourselves, but we we do something because we care about ourselves is what we where we want to get to. So if you think that berating yourself for messing up again is working, if you're noticing that you you the thoughts, the the way you're talking to yourself is incredibly negative and and oh, you just need to do better tomorrow and you need to try harder and um and you're applying more and more levels of restriction the exact opposite is, is what needs to happen. We need to implement way more kindness. We need to change the way you think you, you talk to yourself. So yes, we're identifying those negative thought patterns. We're identifying diet rules, portion restriction, and all those things that are increasing the likelihood that we're going to feel out of control around food. We reduce those and it kind of imagine that your your brain is like a radio channel. And as soon as you notice these negative thoughts come in, we want to just we go, um, okay, I notice these thoughts are happening and then decide that we're going to flick the radio channel. We're just going to change to a different channel. So you decide to think about something else. Maybe you distract yourself with another thought. If that radio channel comes back on, we go, okay, I recognize you again. And we decide to listen to a different radio channel again. If we keep interrupting that radio channel, that negative self-talk, we can start to change how we eat by changing those thoughts. Yeah, this is incredible. And I really love and appreciate that there's a big link between the way you eat, so your behavior and the concept of self-love. I think that's really beautiful. So I'm really excited to read your book as well because I think that's quite profound. And I think if this has really resonated with anybody listening, of course, connect with Lindy and follow her journey. But I would definitely recommend reading the book to to dive deeper with her on this because it's it's really powerful stuff. And, and, and all this work that you do and the things you do now, it's not just for your 2023 goals. It is, as we've been speaking about, for the long term of your health, for the longevity of your life. So, Lindy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've learned an incredible amount from you and I know all of the balances have too. So, firstly, thank you. And secondly, if the balancers want to connect with you, follow your story, uh, get a copy of the book, where's the best place they can go? And I'll pop links to the sh in the show notes below. Oh, I, I'd love that. I'd love that because I feel like we are so aligned. I You can follow me on Instagram at nude underscore nutritionist. And on there, I post a whole bunch of content to help you. Like let's the days where you're like, I feel fat. I don't know what to do. I've fallen off the bandwagon when it comes to my diet. How should I solve this? 
that is, those are the things I like to be able to help you with. Um, My book is called Your Weight Is Not The Problem. It's available from where all good books are sold. And if you go to my website, lindycohen.com, you'll find all the links to purchase the book. You can also just Google the new nutritionist and you're going to come up and you're going to find me. And lastly, what you can do if you if you love podcasts and in fact you feel a bit overwhelmed by the abundance of nutrition advice out there is listen to my podcast, No Wellness Wankery. Uh, I definitely dispel a whole bunch of nutrition nonsense on there. Uh, I would love <laughs> to come over and listen. Incredible. Well, I'll put links to all of that below. Thank you again for your time. And I look forward to getting my hands on a copy of the book and continuing to follow your journey. Thank you again. Thanks, Erica. Thank you.